Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. Beware of those people that walk off with pens. Just be careful. I think I might become one of those people tonight. I like this one. It's got a nice grip. Amen? Thank you, Father, that you provide everything that we need. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father, that we have all sufficiency and all grace to do your will. Thank you, Father, that we are never without hope. Thank you, Father. Come on, amen. Thank you, Father, that we are never without hope. Thank you, Father, that we are never without resource. Thank you, Father, that if we could bring ourselves at the crucial moment to cry out to you, Father, to call upon you, Father, to humble ourselves before you, Father, that grace will come. We thank you, Father, at that crucial moment, at that juncture, Lord, if we will bow down and humble ourselves and call upon you, Lord, that we are never without help, never without resource, never without hope, but you are the God of all grace, Father. We thank you that your grace is poured out abundantly, Father, grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, Father, in the fullness of your Son, Lord, and we've been brought in. Thank you, Father, for the fullness of your grace, Father, that was resting and dwelling upon Jesus, Lord, and that we now, Lord, are brought into him, and that the high priestly prayer of Jesus, this was a prayer that he said, I gotta pray. I'm gonna pray it out loud. I know it's gonna get written down. John 17, this is the prayer. I need them to hear it. I need you to hear it. I gotta say it out loud. Everybody's gotta hear it. This is the prayer. Father, I pray that as we are one, and as I'm loved by you, Father, that they are going to become one, Father, in us, and that they would know the love that you have loved me with, and that that love that you love me with would be in them. That's the prayer that I have to pray out loud in the presence of my disciples to be recorded for us to read before I go to heaven. The fullness Father, we thank you for the fullness of the resource of God that we have as we walk upon the earth and as we walk in the difficulties, Father. We praise you for that, Father. Thank you for your resources, Father. You know, athletes talk about being in the zone, right? Right? So-and-so is really in the zone. They're really gelling, you know? Well, can I tell you that Jesus walked in the heavenly zone all the time. And that that has to be our goal, to walk in the zone. They say when you're in the zone, the coaches will tell you that, the players will tell you that, everything slows down. The stress is gone. I'm not worried about my shot or my angle. I'm not worried about the defense. I'm not worried about the people. It's gone. It's been removed. All I have left is a slow calmness to work out 
what God has worked in, what I've worked in, what I know, who I am in this moment will be outworked slowly in the zone. And that's the way he walked. He was one with the Father through the Spirit walking upon the earth in total peace. Jesus never hit the panic button. He never did. There was no panic button. When John the Baptist was beheaded, he didn't hit the panic button. When he heard that Lazarus was... Now, let's just step back for a second because he was... His ministry eclipsed John the Baptist's ministry. John was the first preacher of the kingdom of heaven, and it was a stark reminder that that was going to be his fate, but he still didn't hit the panic button. There were a group of disciples that were being discipled by John that, were, that needed to be brought into the fold of Jesus and needed to be brought into the full understanding of the kingdom of God through the Son of God. He didn't let any of that stress bother him. He never hit the panic button. All he said was, don't be offended. When Lazarus died... And Thomas was sitting there saying, gosh, all right, I'll go. We're next, sure. He didn't let people bother him. He never hit the panic button. When they were without wine and his mother put a pressure upon him, a pressure upon him that was even before his, quote, time. He said, woman, this is, and it wasn't, uh, you know, the scholars tell us a, a disrespect when he referred to his woman, but this is not my time. There was a pressure and a demand put upon his life. He didn't hit the panic button. And God, hallelujah, help us to walk in your presence, Father. Help us, Father, to walk in the fullness of the life, Father, that you've imparted within us, Lord. Help us to walk in the love of the Father and walking uh, with a desire not to impress or to put on, but to please the Father. Because his sole desire and his sole purpose was to love the Father and obey the Father and please the Father. He was freed from stress. He got to live and enjoy a life free of abiding stress. Why? Because it couldn't get a hold of him. Because the stressors and the pressures couldn't penetrate because it didn't mean enough to him. People didn't mean enough. Their opinions, their pushes, their pressures couldn't penetrate. They're there, but he could hold them at arm's length because he said, ultimately, I'm not here for you. I'm here for you, but I'm not here for you. Amen. And I was just... I can honestly say that at the turn of the new year, I really felt that God was impressing upon my heart to walk in a greater measure of his love, of really knowing the love that he has for me and walking in that peace, in that security, in that love, and then letting that love Produce a love through me because love is the thing that changes things on the earth. And we can't give a love to change the things on the earth that we want to change until we've been fully loved by the Father in our heart of hearts. And my pastors helped me understand that. I'm telling you. 
Thank you, Father. It's time to let go of the slogans and replace them with impartation. No more slogans. No more, no more, um, no more billboards. No more tweets and posts, but impartation. That's the way Jesus walked. He didn't have to sell the kingdom of God. He walked and imparted and demonstrated the kingdom of God. When you got around Jesus, you were, there was an impartation that happened in your life. When you were around his disciples, there was an impartation. There was something in the air. Something was happening. Something was moving. Something was changing. It was the spirit of God working through these people, and they didn't need to oversell it. And anytime we are overselling and pushing, I would venture to say we're stepping out of the Spirit of God. God's leading us, not pushing. That was for me, not for you. I'm sorry. Psalm 87. Go with me to Psalm 87. His foundations is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Can I tell you, God likes his house. The Lord has a, he's a man of I will make mention, verse 4, of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. Now, Rahab is traditionally a word referred to as Egypt. This is a list of the enemies of God. And God says, this one was born there. Even when we were enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. God says, I have enemies. There are enemies. I think of Paul, or excuse me, Saul of Tarsus, the greatest enemy of the first church. God looks at that man and says, that one is born here. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. So in God's house, in his family, can I tell you that the family is God's idea. And God is strengthening families. And God is strengthening his church family. And God is strengthening relationships. And God is bringing love and the bond of peace, the endeavor to keep the unity through the bond of peace because I've called you to oneness. And my will is family and oneness and unity and fullness for my family, for my church family. God, strength, love. The family is God's idea. Heaven, the Bible says, is the family of the Father. I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 3, of whom the whole family of God is named. 
Heaven is a family. And I want to say this. God can repair brokenness in families. God can restore families. God can bring birth to new family. A place of security. A place where there's love. A place where there's acceptance. A place where there's trust. A place where there's healing. God says there's healing in my house. Just come in the front door. There's healing in my house. Say, are we having a prayer line today for healing? No, there's just healing here. It's here. Just come and be with the family. There's healing here. And God has promised us the Most High himself, the Most High himself will establish her. God says, I have a promise to those that are born in my house. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you full. I'm going to make you fat. I'm going to make you loved so that you can become someone that is no longer tossed and uh, by every wave of doctrine, by every wave of the sea, by every circumstance that used to knock you over. God says, my promise to you is that if you stick with me and you stay in my family and you stay in my house, you're going to get strong and you're going to get established. Part of the I don't want to say the priestly prayer, but the apostolic prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3, he prayed that we would be rooted, that we would know the love of Christ, and that we would be rooted, and that we would be grounded in love. You say, but I'm trying so hard. I'm being so good. I'm there every time the door's open. Listen, there's no rooting and there's no grounding without the love of God. If you are not loved by the Father, you are on shaky ground. Jesus came to the earth to demonstrate a love walk with God. There was only one time, well, I don't want to say that, beginning with his ministry, when he was affirmed by the Father, when he was baptized by the Spirit, Mark chapter 1, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. From that point, what was he, 33 years old? I think he was 33 years of age. From the year of 33 years of age, for the next three years of ministry, he walked as a human being upon the earth as a person that was in the zone in a constant heavenly flow of love between him and the Father until Matthew chapter 27. And this is the tragedy that we need to, that God wants every one of his children to avoid and to see as the great tragedy of his creation, as the great tragedy of his children. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that the ninth hour he cried out, Eli, Eli, Alama, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, that was the only time in his life where he did not know the love, the affirmation, the acceptance, the presence of the Father in his life. And you know what it did? 
it caused him to give up. Because the Bible tells us that he surrendered his spirit. And we, how many of us can say, well, brother, for the last 20 years I've been serving the Lord, there hasn't been one moment where I have not felt the love of the Father. Can I tell you that for me, it's the norm. God says we got to change that. We've got to learn to walk in the love of the Father. So that you don't give up. At that moment, it was the only moment that Jesus became completely despondent and discouraged so that we would never have to come to the place where we are completely despondent and discouraged. At that moment, Jesus, the Bible says, yielded his spirit so that we as believers, as born into the family of God, would have to never come to the place where we ever yield our spirits to the spirit of darkness that's here upon the earth. At that moment, Jesus was forsaken by the Father. That means God turned his uh, ear, so to speak, to Jesus so that we, as his children, as his family, would never be forsaken. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? At that moment, upon the, on the cross, Jesus was completely helpless. There was nothing he could do. He couldn't even call on God to strengthen him in that last hour because God had forsaken him. Why? So that we, as we walk upon the earth, will never come to the moment where we are helpless. God says, I will always help you. I really didn't mean to shout. I thought I would just be kind of talking through this. But I came to the place just about 35 minutes ago where I got happy, hallelujah. And it's not because of any gift or talent, but it's because I was focusing upon the love of God, upon the truth of God. Thank you, Father, that you've called us not to be ruled by our emotions, Romans chapter 8, but to be ruled by the love and the leadership of the Father. I'm sorry, um, 1 John chapter 5. This is really what got me going on this, okay? I said, Pastor, if you you run into a, a, a bind, you... I, I, one in the chamber. This was the one in the chamber, this scripture right here. 1 John 5, uh, four, excuse me, 1 John four seventeen. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. Now, everyone is going to face judgment when they leave their body. We are all going to stand before God. But the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion, right? Amen. Proverbs 28. God says you can approach judgment. Now, I'm talking about the scriptures here. This is not hype. 
This is chapter and verse. God says you can approach judgment with boldness when you realize how he is and his relationship to how you are. So the question is, how is he? This is a profound scripture. I dare to say that, yeah. Boldness in the day of judgment, because, say because. As he is, so are we in this world. So how is he? He is seated at the right hand of God. He is in a position of accomplishment and of service. Having proven his love for the Father, his loyalty to the call, his willingness to lay it all down, but he's not done yet. He is the great high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He, the Bible says, has the preeminence. He's standing there at the right hand of the Father in first place. He's the forerunner. He went first. Do you know what I mean by forerunner? Not this runner, the forerunner. <laughs> he thought the service was over. He's become highly exalted through his obedience and his humility. Great and greatly to be praised. He's been anointed with the oil of gladness above his companions, Hebrews chapter 2. He was dead, but he's alive forevermore. He is now above all principality, power, might, dominion, and all the forces of darkness that tried to hinder him upon the earth. He's above them right now. And most importantly, he is with the Father. In the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he prayed to the Father, Father, I pray, and I just want to go back to that. It's John 17, if you want to look it up later. I pray that the love with which you've loved me, the oneness that we have, that they would have. And then he said, he had one more thing to say. He said, Father, the glory that you gave me before the foundation of the world Father, I want them to see that. It's an interesting prayer. He said, Father, the glory, see, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, the things which God has prepared for those that love him, for those that seek him. He says, Father, that glory which you put upon me before the foundation of the world, I want them to be there with me and see that glory. What's glory? Glory's weight, value. I can't quite describe it. It's a heavenly thing, but it's on Jesus. And the Bible says that we're going to be glorified together with him. So as he is, now we will never become the incarnate son of God. We're not, we're not, I don't want to get into that nonsense. But he was the first, the forerunner. He was the firstborn among many brethren. He entered through the presence behind the veil. He went first so that we can follow him. Somebody say amen. That's our destiny. But he's with the Father. Practically now, in closing, for us here on the earth, he is in a wonderful spot. He modeled the sweet spot, the zone here on the earth. And now he's at the right hand of the Father with him. This is a good spot. In our house, people fight for the good spot the place with the clicker. Those of you that have teenagers here, shotgun. How many times? 
when it's time to get in the car. Why? We want the good spot. We covet the good spot. A lot of us, uh, whether it be by water, by the lake, by the ocean, our favorite place to be, we want to dwell in a good place. We make plans to dwell in the good spot. God says the best place you can be upon this earth is in him, in me, with me. And finally, I'm going to close, I promise. This is not bad, though. Amen. I'm kind of liking this. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, this is active. We're crying to God. Abba, Father, how often do we not in our pain cry, Abba, Father? How often do we not in our fear cry, Abba, Father? How often in our anxiety do we not cry, Abba, Father, knowing that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we're sons and daughters of God. The Spirit of God is is within us, is urging us, prompting us, leading us to cry, Father, Father in everything, in everything. Now listen, the alternative is bondage. All of us are going to face a need for significance, value, solutions to problems. And what we replace with the Father will be bondage. Whatever we fill that void with, I didn't even finish Psalm 87. The psalmist said, all my springs are in you. All of the singers on the harps declare and sing, all my springs are in you. There's people in the earth today that they talk about finding their passion. I used to work with a guy, and he told me, you know, um, I've been taking some classes and... um, you know, I did notice a change about him. You know, he'd lost some weight. And I said, hey, what's going on with you? How you doing? You know, well, you know, I started taking some classes at MV. And, you know, I'm just really starting to find out what my passions are. And I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, and listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But can I tell you that God holds the key to every heart. Our springs are in him. He's the only one that can bring the fulfillment and the true peace to that spring within each one of us. All my springs are in you. So when we try to replace our need for the Father's love, we inevitably end up in bondage. But imagine knowing, really knowing, that we're God's design and his pleasure. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that he has revealed this great mystery to us according to to the purpose of his pleasure. I didn't quote that right. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Now imagine you and I walk around really knowing that me, me, the one I'm really hard on, beat on, criticize, 
judge when needed, according to the scriptures. Overanalyze that, that one, yeah. I'm really God's design. He really intended this right here. I'm his good pleasure. I am, the Bible says, Galatians chapter 4, a child of promise. Ishmael was a child of Hagar, right? Slavery. Do you know what that means? Do you know what a slave's worth is? What he can do. Do you know what a son's worth is? Who he is. My worth is not in what I do. It's who I am. What I do is an expression of who I am. But if I don't do it out of who I am by design from the Father, I'm actually doing it to manipulate you into being happy with me. And I'm doing it for myself. All my good works are really to prove to me and to you that I have value. But I'm trying so hard. When our good works come from the love of the Father, from the knowledge of his pleasure and identity in us, we will make it very simple to love him back, to obey him, and to please him because he did it first to us. Isaac was the child of promise, and his name literally means laughter. And I really believe that when we get a hold of the love that God has for us, the design, the pleasure that he has in us, we will begin to laugh. Laughter. Because we are his pleasure, his promise in the saints called to good works. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. He is, and now we are. He is at the right hand of the Father. And now, because of who Jesus is to the Father, we identify with him by faith. And now we are what he is to the Father. The Apostle Paul said, and I'll close with this, I only want one thing, to be found in him. I just want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own and work my way to get there, but the righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Father. And I pray that you would help us, Father, help me, Father, to know your love. Even I dare to say in this new year, Father, help us to come to the place where we are knowing your love, experiencing your love, Father, walking in the, in the fullness and the love of the Father, and then releasing that, Father, and walking in that upon the earth, Father. The love that passes knowledge. that we be filled with the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, 
visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.